Stone on air coming up. Completely unsanctioned by the church. Stone on air. Whatever, let's just do this. Stone on air. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. Give human beings opportunity and you'll be absolutely shocked with what people do with it. Stone on air coming up. Stone on air. All right, hello everybody. It is the Stone on Air podcast. Recorded live to tape, which I do occasionally. The only person in the city that does that, by the way. This is the most downloaded, most listened to, most easily accessible podcast in the city of Chattanooga. Like, share, always love. Rate and review when you get a chance. My name is Brian Stone, and this is the Stone on Air podcast. Some are better than others, I guess. Thank you for finding the show, however, however it is that you do so. You can download it, the app, SoundCloud, you know by now, it's everywhere. Today, my guest is my monthly Chattanooga of the uh, the spotlight feature, if you will, is uh, Wayne White, and I'll tell you more about that here in just a minute. And um, I had I rescheduled my first month's monthly visit for next month because Wayne had to leave soon, and I didn't want to miss opportunity to come down here and uh, and see his updated um, exhibit at um, eighteen hundred at Rossville Avenue, the Tennessee Arts. Building Ten Arts Ten is what Art. the studio is called, and that's not Wayne White talking to me right there. That's Jennifer Crutchfield, who is the c- catalyst to helping me make this happen. And uh, thank you for helping me out there, Jen. You're welcome. Thanks for coming down. Um, it's been a fun day so far. It has, and um, so let's let's just jump right into the nuts and bolts of what Wayne Orama is, because um, while it's getting out there, people know, and people who see it are blown away with how cool it is. There's still there's still a pocket that are, that are missing out, and I want to make sure that people understand what this is, why it's here, who makes it possible, and you're the one who has all the information. I got a lot of answers. Jennifer Crutcher <laughs> from WTCI. Thanks for having me. Um, I do double duty. I have uh, have been friends with the Shake and Ray Levi Society guys for decades, and Shake and Ray Levi Society was founded. 30 years ago this year 1986 exactly and at the sa- so at the same time that Wayne was was leaving Chattanooga and starting his career as a gonna be ridiculously famous artist the Shake and Ray guys stayed here and it's like they just missed each other. Like he's, he's well, on his way out while they're on the way in. Actually, they they were peers. They all grew up here, and they had common friends during high school because they were both in high school to, at the same time. He was at Hickson High School, and they were at Brainerd. And in the so, mid seventies. Yeah, so they all had they had com they had friends in common throughout that whole time. Bob, uh, Bob Stagner and Dennis Palmer stayed in Chattanooga and created the Shake and Ray Levi Society as a catalyst to bring in creative, creative experiences to inspire, inspire creativity. I hate using the word twice, but yeah, kind of have to. That's what it is. In music and visual arts. 
So for these 30 years, the Shake and Ray Levi Society has been working largely in the background, building programs that go into schools to work with kids with disabilities and kids in all kinds of schools with music programs and bringing concerts and workshops that people are invited to to celebrate creativity in, in art and music. So Shake and Ray put this together four years ago when the documentary was released about Wayne's life, Beauty is Embarrassing. He was here. They were, they were working on a project together, and they, they had a collective dream. And the collective dream was to take Wayne's love of Chattanooga history and his unique perspective in art and bring them together in a gift to his hometown that inspired people artistically and that educated people about how fascinating their city is. Which I hadn't realized that uh, Wayne had done that at lots of places all over the country, um, that, that he had done historical artwork. Um, I, I, I knew he did all kinds of different things, but I, I didn't know that that was something that he was, he was already doing. So it makes perfect sense, one of the more historical areas of the entire South, right, right here, the hub to the, you know, the Civil War. So he's done those kinds of installations, and his dream was to do a big, big one. Yeah. And where, what better place to do that than his hometown? Well, we talk, I'm talking to Wayne here in just a few minutes to talk about some of his background, some of the things he's done, but his the biggest thing you hear when you say Wayne White, well, he was a, 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 a art director or a studio designer for uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse. Mm -hmm. And so that immediately gives you an idea of his style. Gives you a visual frame of reference, yeah, right. Yeah, so, so now you, you think that if you know, which everybody at least knows what Pee Wee Herman is, even if you didn't watch it, you know. And so that kind of gives you a little idea, but he works with some incredible uh, musicians and incredible artists across the board. I'm going to talk to him about that a little bit. We're open for business, too, just We've like they are every day, 11 to 6, right? Right, at Wednesday through Sunday, 11 to 6, and will be open through September 2017. But in this September, when we started the build-out, there have been over 300 artists who've come to work on this project and learn from Wayne. That's so the, the really beauty cool. of the art has been fascinating, but watching the mentoring that took place. That's incredible. I can't wait to talk to Wayne coming up here in just a minute or two from now. My name is Brian Stone. She's Jennifer Crutchfield. This is Jason Isbell. Uh, just announced the other day he'll be playing at uh, Track 29 on 420 on April 20th. And it's I'm not saying don't go, because I love Jason Isbell. But I remember seeing this. I'm, uh, people would have to he would have to pay people to come see his shows 15 years ago. And I was always like, this guy is awesome. Where are all of you? This is kind of the same concept that we're talking about, the lack of appreciation for somebody if people are screaming at you. This You've got to check this out. Well, now y'all sell out the show every time. I'm, st <laughs> I'm tired of standing in line. It's like I, I, one, one time in my life I could have convinced Jason Isbell he remembered that we were kind of friends. And now I can't even get into the shows anymore. Uh, but and he played with the truckers the other night in Nashville. Wow, that was super cool. I'll talk about that probably in the midweek podcast coming up and get some audio from that. Wayne White is my guest. Coming up next, this is the Stone On Air podcast. My name is Brian. Jennifer, thank you. We'll talk again here in a few minutes. Thank you. Hang tight. Be right back. Covered up the county with stone. Now back to more Stone On Air. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. StoneOnAir.com And you are back to the Stone On Air podcast, recording live to tape 
down at Wayne Orama. Really, really cool gig for me today. And I appreciate everybody involved in helping make it happen. Uh, of course, we were just talking with Jennifer Crutchfield, talking about the, the nuts and bolts of the exhibit here itself. Um, but the, the man whose main, main work, he's got volunteers, people that help him, but his vision, the person who put this together, is, uh, is Wayne White. And he is my guest today. And uh, Wayne, thank you for taking a few minutes. I know you got to get out of town soon. I know you're working here each and every day. And sit down with me for a couple minutes is uh, certainly, I do appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. It's good to be here. Um, tonight, tonight is what you're listening to here. It's the uh, Smashing Pumpkins, the, the video, and... Uh, a little homework assignment for you out there listening to the podcast right now. Um, tonight, tonight, and big time from Peter Gabriel. Pause the, the podcast right now. Pause it, and then go watch both of those. And then we'll wait for you, and when you come back, we'll be you'll be filled in, all right? So go. All right, welcome back to the podcast. You've now uh, seen both of those videos, which we'll talk a little bit more uh, later on. What you've been doing, uh, Wayne, is uh, I didn't know it was technically a, a genre... Um, Installation art. Yeah. Tell me about installation art. I mean, I've heard of that installations, but I didn't know it was actually a genre. Yeah. Installation art sounds like a real drag. You know? <laughs> it's like, whoa, boy. I hate saying that. I hate using the official terms. Okay. I'd rather call them fun houses. You know? Anything but installation. Uh, well, yeah. Fun house is a good way. I mean, it's, it's again, you, we'll talk about Pee Wee, but Pee Wee's Playhouse was a fun house kind of thing. So Yeah, it's a, I've been doing art. Uh, we'll, we'll go with installation. I've been doing them um, for about um, seven years now. I, I travel around the country and I'm, I go to different cities and I always base my uh, installation, the work on uh, the local history of the place, you know, just because I love history. Sure. And uh, it's a ready-made content, and it's a great story. So, like, I went to Oklahoma, and I made a rodeo. I went to Houston, and I did a giant head of George Jones, because George got his start in Houston. I went to a little town in York, Pennsylvania, uh, York, Pennsylvania did a Civil War uh, installation, because there was a big uh, invasion there during the Civil War. And now... Uh, I, so I naturally wanted to come back to my hometown and do one about Chattanooga, you know, because uh, that's my favorite stories. That's my favorite history, and it's the place I grew up. Yeah, you went to uh, Hickson High School, and um, we'll get to, to some of that in a minute. But um, I've, I've watched some interviews with you, so I don't want you to have to answer the same questions over and over again. But um, I, I know the story of your first grade teacher t- yeah. telling in front of the class uh, which could be frightening for people to be singled, you know, singled out and say, "Hey!" But I mean, it was a, the ultimate compliment that this, you know, this young man, this young boy is going to be an artist. And yes. at that point, you you realize that that was something you were always going to do. That's an awful young age to, to 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 figure something like that out. But I highly doubt that you were thinking about how you were going to make a living the rest of your life or anything along those lines no. at that age. What at what point did you realize that this is something that is not necessarily something for fun or uh, a way just for some extra cash on the side? That this is something you could actually do for a living for maybe forever? <laughs> did it take a long time? I mean, it didn't take very long at all because I was already hustling kids' lunch money in the first grade, <laughs> doing drawings for them. Well, I mean, I could I would do drawings of Bob Brandy, which I still am doing in my own way i got a big bob brandy sculpture here i do drawings for them and and, and charge them a nickel or a dime and stuff and i got in trouble for it very entrepreneurial of you yeah. at a very young age right away i knew that it had some kind of power 
and it, that could be uh, monetized, as they say. But I, 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 uh, I, that's a good question. When did it really dawn on me? I guess I, and I guess that is an honest answer. I always believed that I could do it for a living. Wow, that's all I ever wanted to do. And uh, so you went to Hickson High School. You graduated yeah. from MTSU. Um, I actually I know Murfreesboro very well. Um, yeah. Back in the late '90s. Uh, it was dubbed by Rolling Stone or Spin or something as like the next Seattle um, I, in some little blurb, you know. And uh -huh. so all my friends were all musicians and everybody went to Murfreesboro. I was called my alma mater. I didn't actually go to school. I just lived across from the Murphy Center. I did too. Uh, over there on Division Street. I lived near there. And, yeah. uh, and so I hung out with everybody and did college kind of things. I just didn't have to wake up and go to class in the morning. <laughs> so I'm pretty familiar with MTSU. But um, so you went out as soon as you got done at MTSU in uh, 1979. 1980, that's when I was born. Um, Wayne White, my guest on the Stone on Air podcast, you were off to New York. Yeah. That quickly. I was. I, I, I spent a year in Nashville in 1980, and then in 81, I moved to New York. I had seen a magazine called Raw Magazine, and uh, it was like the new generation of underground comics, something I'd always kind of been interested in. I was very disillusioned with trying to make paintings and sell them because that was not very encouraging in Nashville in 1980 to be an artist. And so I, I, I wanted to go back into cartooning, something I always loved as a kid and something I did in uh, growing up for school newspapers and stuff. So I went to New York to be a cartoonist in 81. And that was, uh, that's kind of, you answer my question a little bit next and say, what was your passion at that time? Was it uh, illustrations? Uh, it was I think an editorial cartoons kind of thing, no, maybe? It was, or? it was comic strips. Comic strips. Uh, alternative comics, as you would say. It was the beginning of an era we're still in, the dawn of the graphic novel and uh, uh, comics for adults, and you know, and serious themes. And that's what Raw Magazine met, represented to me. And, also, as to be an illustrator, also I could always draw, and I wanted to, again, I wanted to hustle some money from it. I wanted to get that uh, lunch money. Well, so we move into uh, closer to the mid '80s, and how does the Pee Wee Herman show get on your radar? Is it something you had noticed or heard about, or how did that become even an idea? Well, I'd been in New York about three years, and I finally started getting work, freelance work for magazines. And then, lo and behold, Tennessee called again. My friend in Nashville had gotten a job at a PBS station, and they needed a set designer and a puppet designer for a new kids' uh, music instruction show for the elementary school. Okay. And I got the job. I went back down to Nashville. I stayed for about four months. I made a show called Mrs. Kabobble's Caboose in 1985, which is still on in some PBS markets in the South. Wow. I took that with me back up in the winter of 86 back up to new york city i took that portfolio and that's how i got the peewee peewee job um and uh was that that was basically the question <laughs> <laughs> that was basically the question i lost my brain how, how many uh how many seasons were you working with, with i them? worked four seasons on peewee and that completely changed my life i can imagine i immediately got into television production and, and, and got away from magazines and illustration and comics and was fully immersed just overnight, literally, and started getting other jobs like Shining Time Station, uh, Peter Gabriel's Big Time Video, 
uh, Beekman Swirled, Rodgers. It, it went on and on for 25 years. Well, I'm going to come back to that in just a, just a minute. I want to fast forward, though. I'm going to kind of go out. Of, I'm doing this whole podcast out of order. I'm doing second, first, and third, last, and all this stuff. But I, so I'm going I'm to jump ahead about 10, 12 years because I didn't know until I started looking around that there were, I didn't even know there was a Weird Al show. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I wasn't as much Pee-wee. I don't know why, but um, I've certainly watched it. You didn't. You had one of the voices in Pee-wee, too. I forgot about I that. I had several voices in Pee-wee. Several. Randy, Dirty Dog, Mr. Kite, Roger the Monster. But Weird Al, I loved. Loved. Still do. And I had no idea that, uh, that, that he had yeah. a TV show. Of course, this is what yeah. the theme song sounds like, as you would... Expect something by Weird Out of Sound, but it didn't last that long. No, it? it was a flop. It lasted like one run. I don't even think they reran it. Yeah. I, I worked on several think projects like that, and unfortunately, you know, Al had the goods. I don't know what. There just wasn't. It just didn't work out. I did the sets and puppets on that. Yeah, yeah. I saw the the like some of the the opens and things, and it, it's just like other styles of music or styles of art. I could. Now I can see where yours exactly is. I mean, I don't know if everything is always your design, but I can, there are certain things I can tell. Yep, that's Wayne. That's Wayne right there. <laughs> and I mean that as the ultimate compliment. Wayne Thanks. White, my guest, uh, recording the, the uh, podcast live to tape at his exhibit on uh, 1800 Rossville Avenue. I'm going to take a quick break. One more go around. I do want to talk about those uh, music videos for a minute, and then I will yeah. get, get out of your way and let you get back to work. Thank you All for right. being down here. Quick break. Be right back. This is the most listened to, downloaded, and most easily accessible podcast in the city of Chattanooga. This is Stone on Air. More with Wayne White next. Stone on Air. We'll be right back. Call me if you're interested. Stoneonair.com. Hi there. And you are back with the Stone On Air podcast, recording live to tape down at Wainorama, downtown Chattanooga, on the south side, 1800 Rossville Avenue. The exhibit will be opening and open and changing and updating um, until September. Yes. So if you've been once, you can come again and you'll see something you didn't see the time before. The first time I was here was um, the open and uh, the opening that, you, that had a huge crowd. And there's a that was was that in September? That was in November. November. I thought yeah. it felt. I thought it was a little colder. And okay. um, and there's a lot new since then. There is. It's the part of the concept is that it keeps growing and changing, and getting better. Getting we're, better. We're going to talk to some of the people that you're they're volunteering with you and helping helping you work when you're in town. When you're not, um, you reside in Los Angeles. I do. I live in uh, L.A. Right smack dab in the middle of it. I, I'm from. I was born in Southern California, and I'm thinking about going out there later this year. I live I, in Los Feliz, which okay. is right next to Hollywood, between Hollywood and Silver Lake, up in the hills. I'm from um, originally Oceanside, California, just yep. just outside of San Diego, and absolutely incredibly amazing place that I beautiful. Uh, unfortunately, I think the cost of living got in my family's way, and we had to get out of there. Um, but that's a whole other conversation. It's not all that interesting, anyway. Wayne White, my guest. So MTV is two or three, four years old when you're starting to work with Pee Wee. When you were thinking about artists and things you're going to do, getting out of college, you, know, you, were, you were going to work for publications. Was TV that kind of design in your mind at all, or did that evolve from the, the Pee Wee Herman kind of experience? Well, I was always excited by cool stuff on TV, like any young person is, you know. Uh, but I never thought of, my, of myself doing it. 
I, uh, I kind of, <clears throat> I was doing my own homemade puppet shows for the longest, and I noticed that kind of aesthetic in the culture, like with Andy Kaufman and his funky yeah. prop humor. I even saw the original uh, Pee Wee show on HBO in like 78 or something. And it stunned me because it was very already. I was doing something similar already, you know. I didn't realize it was that old, 78. Yeah, yeah it was one of the first HBO comedy specials. Huh. And everybody kept, uh, it, it, and it was hard to see, fine, because you know, not many people had cable. Anyway, I was, it was in the air, what I was doing. And it was kind of reflected in the culture, not, but I never imagined myself working in television, no. What's, uh, I forgot to ask this earlier, what, what's uh, Paul Rubens like? Uh, Paul is very uh, low-key. He's very low-energy in person. He has a deep voice. Because that, you know, that character, he's obviously. He's not the character at all. Yeah. He doesn't carry that kind of energy. I mean, his uh, performance in, in Blow, uh, the, yeah. uh, I can't remember who did that movie, but uh, early in the 90s, um, was just incredible. And it gave yeah. me this whole new appreciation for him. And, I mean, his role was just incredible. And he's done a lot of other things since then. But That's, that's, more, of his, that's more of his energy level, that kind of low-key gotcha. guy, you know. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, okay, so MTV is, you know, again, is in, in its infancy. And how does, does a Peter Gabriel video get on your radar? Because... I don't. I can only. I mean, I don't know what kind of music you listen to, but I don't know many people that don't at least appreciate Peter Gabriel at a pretty high level. He, yeah, he's a great guy, personally. But uh, I got the job simply because the the director of the first season of Pee Wee, Stephen Johnson, had done another amazing Peter Gabriel video called Sledgehammer. Sure, yeah. And that and through Sledgehammer, he got the Pee Wee job. And then a year roll, rolls by, and he gets an, a chance to do another one with Big Time. And because we knew each other from Pee Wee, he. I got the uh, art director job. This, this is a, maybe a question you probably can't answer at all, uh, or maybe you can. What Peter Gabriel had that run of doing videos like that. He yeah. didn't do that that kind of stuff. I mean, he was always a little flamboyant, but he he, yeah. he didn't do that kind of stuff early, and he hasn't done it as much since. I first started listening to him in the early '90s with uh, "Digging in the Dirt" mm -hmm. is one of those kinds of out there videos, and I, I always wondered was that just a, a, a artistic experimental stretch of his career? Or? Well, his early days with Genesis, they did a lot of real weirdo theatrical. Did they? I might have just, yeah. I, I know Phil Collins' Genesis better than I know Peter Gabriel's no, Genesis. No. Genesis started out as kind of a performance art kind of thing. Okay. They had costumes and puppets. So he's weirder than I gave him credit oh, for. Oh, yeah. Okay. He was always trying to uh, do something visual, too, along with the music in his early career. And that changed, I guess, as it went along. But yes, that one little stretch there, he really went for it. And I was lucky enough to, to jump on the wagon there as it came rolling by. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's incredible uh, work. And then what really caught my eye, because I am a child of the 90s and a huge grunge music fan, so all those bands I love, and um, Smashing Pumpkins video, which I hadn't seen in forever, um, yeah. and I forgot how cool it was. Yeah. Um, how, how did that come, come together with... with well, I got that pumpkins. job again through people I knew, people I worked with. That was directed by a husband and wife team, Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Ferris. And I had known them uh, uh, socially in Hollywood. And uh, we had always wanted to work together. And they knew that at the time I was doing these, these really kind of old-fashioned paintings. I was doing these big battle scenes that looked like they were from the 19th century, steamboats coming down the river. I was, this was the phase that I was doing right before I started my word paintings. 
and they knew I was doing these old-timey 19th century images, and this video came up, and they had the concept of doing this antique 19th century Jules Verne steampunky kind of thing, and they knew that I could do that. And it, it came together nice. And uh, So how, how does that, when someone comes up with a concept for something like that, a small film project like that, is it just they just give you kind of a basic thought and then you kind of just create around that and then you just, you know, maybe you run it by, hey, what do you think about this, that kind of thing? Or is it like, here's exactly what we want to do. Can you make it? Like, we, we specifically want to make a John Ross head. Can you make it? You know, that's obviously pretty self-explanatory. A lot of the times for a project like that, it was very specific. They came to me and they said, we, we want to do our own version of George Millet's old movie, A Trip to the Moon. I, I don't know. That's what that... I read his name and, and looked him up for a French, yeah, uh, French, a French filmmaker, yeah, yeah. very early pioneer. He made these really wild and crazy little science fiction movies in the 1901. And this Millet's Trip to the Moon is a very famous film. And they wanted to do a pastiche or takeoff of that for the pumpkins. So that was locked in place. But as far as the visuals go, there's freedom, you know. So and I and I loved that. I would give them variations on the spaceship, and then they would pick one. And uh, you know, I had a lot of freedom as to to do my own version of it, things. In the filming process for for a, a project like that, how much interaction do you have with the artists themselves, I, like Peter or, or Billy Corgan or whoever? With Peter. Uh, I had a lot of interaction. He was in on a lot of the early meetings, and I showed him my ideas and storyboards, and and uh, we had a we had a nice time um, interacting, and I really liked him a lot. He's really yeah, I bet one I of bet. my favorite people to work with. But uh, with the pumpkins, I didn't meet him at all. Really, I, I, well, I thought about that, especially because technology had had increased by that point yeah. to where maybe you didn't you could all work remotely is what i thought probably on that one i yeah i wasn't around for the days that they shot i was just around for like you know scenes they weren't in well it's incredible work wayne white is my guest we'll wrap it up here in a minute i know you got to get back to work uh, i was going to ask you about uh, but i forgot i'm glad you said it your word paintings yeah what what <laughs> i know what that i know what the word word means and i know what paintings means but what are, what are your word paintings well, I call them word paintings. They're, uh, it's it's a, a series I've been doing for 17 years now. It's how I got back into the art world. I find uh, th thrift store landscape reproductions, and I paint giant letters into them. It all sounds very mundane, but it's uh, it's a career. <laughs> hey, you've been, you've been hustling since you were uh, right. second grade. So, That's right. Uh, Whatever, whatever works, and, and uh, it's 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 it looks it's an incredible career, and and Thank I you. I hope that more people in Chattanooga can come to uh, realize and and appreciate it. I know a lot more are because you said back in whatever year in the, in Nashville it wasn't a good place for uh, artistic no. things you were looking for. Things have changed, and they have changed. I go to Nashville all the time, and Chattanooga would have been even worse at that oh, time. Oh yeah, no, things have changed for the much the better. And for it's Chattanooga it's it's finally it's finally um, getting to where that you're. Your talents are being um, showcased, and I, I really hope that more people listen to this podcast, tell your friends, and uh, and, and and come down to the, the uh, exhibit, which me and Jennifer and whoever she wants to bring along, we'll make sure everybody knows all the specifics and everything coming up here in just a minute. Cool. But, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm really, really excited about Wayne-O-Rama, and I urge everybody to come see it. I really do. Wayne, thank you so much. This was a treat. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me. All right. This is the Stone on Air podcast. That is Wayne White. Oops, I was knocked over the microphone. Recording live at the, uh, live to tape anyway, at the 
exhibit here on 1800 Rossville Avenue. It is Wayne Arama. Jennifer Crutcher will jump on here with me. We'll give you all the information you need to know here and put the wraps on the podcast. This is the most listened to podcast in town, most downloaded, and the most easily accessible. Like, share, always love. Rate and review when you get a chance. My name is Brian. We'll be right back. More of Stone on Air coming up. Stoneonair.com. Ah, this song always takes me back to that Sunday afternoon radio show. Always ended the show with this. Once uh, the, the show made a transition, I I decided to change it. Just saying. This is the Stone on Air podcast. My name is Brian Stone, hanging out live to tape, recording the podcast today, which occasionally I do. Plan on being at the uh, Chattanooga Market again this year. That was a lot of work, but in the end, I think it was uh, it was very much worth it. And uh, plan to have a lot of performances out there. This is, and this is not just a music oriented show. This is a whatever I want it to be on a daily basis kind of show, and. Um, but that kind of seems to fit pretty good down at the market. So looking forward to uh, the spring period for every reason that, that comes along with it. But uh, putting the wraps on the show today, having Wayne in to talk to me was uh, was pretty incredible. I, I I didn't know, just like a lot of Chattanooga, who he was or what he had done until, until I saw a couple things. And it just was like, oh, wait, wow. Oh, wait. And it's like scratching the surface. It's the onion thing. Like, whoa, hold on. That too? You're kidding me. This guy lives down the street or did live down the street? This just can't be true. And it is. And um, with me today is program director uh, for this final segment, uh, Bob Stagner. He's program director of the Wayne Arama exhibit. Bob, thanks for being here, and thanks for having me. Thank you, Brian. This is a great job. A job, a lot of fun. Really yeah, nice. I, I appreciate it. And, uh, and Jennifer, of course, helped put it together. And um, tell me about this whole concept. In, in and we we kind of went over it that you guys had got together a few years ago, but um, just from your perspective on how this this has become a thing, and it's, it's well, incredible. it started it started with a simple conversation, sort of like we're having right now. But we had a vision to bring Wayne back to celebrate uh, his work and also to celebrate all the things that had inspired him as a young person growing up in Chattanooga and moving away. And um, fortunately, and sometimes unfortunately, artists have to be move on to different parts of the world to become what they. Uh, can to their fullest and fortunately we were able to be able to invite Wayne back to the city to uh, build this incredible installation of Wayne Arama. Now it started like I said with a conversation and then uh, one day Wayne and uh, the late Dennis Palmer looked at me and said well what have you learned from today's art meeting? I said it's not a plan till you write it down. So we wrote it down and uh, started building the idea four years ago and uh, September 12th we started the build out and we opened to the public on November 19. And the beauty of the project is we get to bring Wayne and Mimi back to the area throughout the year. Now, I have to mention our wonderful funders, the Lindhurst Foundation, Benwood Foundation, McKenzie Foundation, Footprint Foundation, and our incredible corporate sponsor, Sea Rock City, Inc., as well as a host of other people who have helped this project happen. Yeah, I was going to say, something like this doesn't just happen without uh, the help from a lot of uh, local companies and local organizations. Oh, gosh, it is a team beyond belief, Brian. The, the artists who have come and helped us, over 300 individual volunteers and artists, 
uh, the website people, Tiny Giant, uh, Ernie Pack, our board president, the board of the Shake and Relieve Society, Arts Build, uh, all the cr and create uh, wonderful people who've donated materials. T.T. Uh, Wilson. The list just goes on and on. Well, of all the things, speaking of Rock City, of all the things to like in this room, there's plenty. Oh, yeah. For, for some reason, the two things that stuck out, because they're iconic to the city, would be the incline. And just when you, anytime you have something that's interactive and moves, it's mm -hmm. certainly cool. It almost, it's got that old Mr. Rogers train thing going off <laughs> or whatever kind of feel. Yeah. But what caught my eye the most is that C-Rock, C-7 states portion. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, of course, yeah. you have to see it to kind of see how he's uh, placed the states when someone's you, looking you, through the, the yeah. little goggle you got to see it to believe it. you got to see it. To, the picture is the one thing. Literally, the picture is the one thing. But we've had people come uh, from all parts of the country. And one, one quote that really stood out was a group that came down from New York over the holidays. And uh, they said, you know, we, can, we, we try to make it to Wayne's shows in New York, but sometimes there are hours we can't make. They literally formed a trip around this installation to come be close to this work and be, you know, up, up, up on it, as the kids say. And uh, it just, it's, it's a powerful, powerful room. Uh, I see it every day. And I come in every day, and I have a completely diff different perspective. And Jennifer has handed me a strip, my script, and I've just mentioned all those people that she just handed me. <laughs> one so step ahead of you, Jennifer. Jen. One step I got ahead it of covered. You. So eleven thank to you. eleven to six every day. Um, I didn't I didn't realize this. I wouldn't have even thought to ask it or even think about it. You do. It's it's not necessarily a complete guided tour, but it it is kind well, of if you want it to. We be. have a wonderful docent program uh, that includes a lot of volunteers throughout the year. It it is self it, it is self guided, but we also have a lot lot of wonderful information and lesson plans that go along with each of the exhibits and um, I'll have to say it, it, it's not you know some some ex some exhibitions are just on the surface you go and you just see wonderful things but this has a lot of depth and a lot of legs and a lot of uh, a lot of uh, really inactive piece, interactive people pieces I'm sorry I'm stuttering but I, there, are, I mean, I'm, I'm, we're underneath a 15-foot-tall chief dragon. Canoe. Yeah, right, right underneath okay. it. And you, I, <laughs> it and looks this, like it's heavy, yeah. but I bet it's not as well. Maybe. Well, it it's pretty heavy. Maybe that one is. Now, this guy is really happy. Okay, yeah. I know he's happy. He, I, I see him every day, and he's very, very happy. Yeah. And uh, and you can't, you cannot not be happy when you walk into this place. But 11 to 6 every day, Wednesday through Sunday, we had extended hours to the holidays, which I'm really glad we did because we had a lot of travelers that were booking honeymoons. I'm not kidding. People came from Raleigh, Durham. This is part of their Christmas presents to each other. So Chattanooga, we need you, Brian. We need more shows like this. Thank you so much for your time and uh, visiting us. But um, yeah, this is. Uh, please get the help us get the word out. This is a, not necessarily a grassroots effort, but it's a big project. It's got a lot of moving parts and a lot. It involves so many people from our community. It's not even funny. Bob Stagner, the program director for uh, Wayne Orama, is my guest as we wind down the show. So the the the, the, the exhibit goes until um, September. What happens once October of that year of this year well, rolls around? I mean, we got to put this stuff somewhere. Well, ideally, originally the, the the concept was that these pieces would live in different parts of the community and uh, that they would be on loan from the Shake and Ray Levi Society. And as it's shaping now. Uh, there's a lot of interest for it to continue, and I, I, I imagined that, but I didn't really imagine it. So we had a we had a set time period that we had arranged, but there's now there's now a push to uh, sustain it longer past that date, which would be wonderful if it happened. I'd love for it to happen. We've we've now formed a model for other communities to be able to do this type of work. Wayne's been out proving 
uh, you know, the bigger pieces throughout the country doing amazing installations, amazing pieces. But this is the first time I believe something of this scale has been in one location for this amount of time, which is a very different thing for our city. I'm going to say this. I'm not, I don't say this in any boastful or prideful way, but I do believe Wayne Arama, Second Ray Levi Society, all the foundations, all the support, all the volunteers, all the sponsors have changed the footprint of art in our city. I, I believe that. I, I'm seeing it happen myself. Bob, thank you so much. I got to run. Thank you, Brian. Live to tape today, the podcast, Stone On Air podcast. You can get it anywhere. You can get a podcast in the world or SoundCloud if you want to go to that page or go to the Facebook page. It's easy to find. And I uh, appreciate you being here. And we'll talk to you again on the midday weekly des download destination i call it every wednesday and then um, i'll be working on february's guest which i'm not sure who that'll be yet but you'll know as soon as i do thank you bob thank you jennifer thank you wayne thank you uh, mimi thank you everybody's names who i'm forgetting you're all incredible see you later and if anybody should happen to ask speaking of that old radio show where did that cat go just tell them i'm gone